Welcome to the podcast, and it's great to have you with us as I'm going to start featuring some special audio elements that I come across throughout the course of a week, and some might have been played on the air, some might not have been played on the air, but I'm going to condense them and bring them to you in a very digestible, fun-to-listen-to form here on Vandermeer's View. So today, John McClain shares a memory about Frank Reich and really the memory that prevails to him when you think about that Buffalo Oiler game in the early 90s, the playoff game, the most painful loss in the history of Houston professional football. Mark, why are you going pain on us today? Well, I think it's going to be entertaining for you. So just listen in for that. I think we're over the pain, aren't we? I hope. And another thing regarding the Colts and the history of this little rivalry. And speaking of pain, the record that the Texans have with the Colts, 7-25. and So fireside chat this week is on the first time the Texans beat the Colts, and they've only beaten them seven times. So we'll get into that a little bit. Also, Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, he took over for Bob Lamey, so I'll tell a little bit about that story, and he'll tell you a little bit more, and he'll get you ready for this matchup this weekend. And we want to remind you that Freddy's Frozen Custard is there to make you happy. 12 locations with three new locations opening soon. Full Shear, Kingwood, and Porter. And the new food truck custom designed to bring the steak burgers, fries, and frozen custard you love to your event. Freddy's Original Double Steak Burger is a real game changer. So check that out. It's Freddy's Frozen Custard. All right, now what about this Buffalo Oilers game? Now, as John McClain will tell you, Frank Reich was the quarterback in the game. He started. Jim Kelly did not play in this game. A lot of people think Kelly played, and that's why the Bills came back. They came back off the arm of Frank Reich, who not only engineered the greatest comeback in the history of the NFL. I mean, this is a playoff game, and the Oilers were up 35-3 to in the third quarter, right? But Frank Reich was the quarterback for Maryland in the 80s when Miami was playing the Terrapins, and Miami had this insurmountable lead, huge, and Maryland came back, and at the time it was such a big story. Frank Reich engineering Two of the greatest comebacks in the history of football, college, and pro. Maryland coming back on Miami and the Buffalo Bills coming back on the Oilers. And here is Frank Reich, head coach of the Colts. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, here's McLean talking about that game between the Oilers and the Bills and the aftermath. At the end of the game, when I went down to go on the sideline, um, I was with Mark Berman. And as we came down the tunnel in the end zone, it was the loudest crowd I've ever heard. And it was like there's a scene early in Saving Private Ryan, which I think is the greatest war movie ever, in which they're storming Normandy Beach. Yeah, the doors and, come down. And Tom Hanks is on the beach, and all of a sudden he's just leaning up against something, and it's he, he can't hear. You know, it's the noise is so loud. He can just see things. And that's the way it was. It was so loud. I looked over at Berman, and he's right next to me, and his lips were moving. I couldn't hear one word. And so we went outside, and at the at the point, at one point, when it was 35-3, to 3, almost half the stadium was empty. The game was not televised because it wasn't sold out. So It was blacked it was out blacked in the out, local market. Blacked out in Buffalo. A playoff game. And so by the time we went down at the end of the game, the place not only had filled up, but people were pushing, and they were worried they were going to knock down fences to get in because everybody had heard it on the radio. Right. And remember, the the Bills went ahead, and the Oilers had to kick a field goal to force overtime. 
And uh, I still have never seen anything right out of it. When I came out hours later, people were, the parking lot was just packed with people still there, just celebrating hours after that game. Isn't that incredible? I didn't remember that, that they actually fell behind and tied the game to force overtime and then lost in overtime. Aldel Greco had to kick a field goal, and then Ernest Givens ran the wrong route, and Warren Moon threw a pass. Daryl Talley intercepted, and uh, Steve Christie kicked the winning field goal. What about Frank Reich that afternoon? Frank Reich, a lot of people, they remember that game. Boy, what a great game by Jim Kelly. And they mm-hmm. just assumed Jim Kelly was in there. Right. Well, it wasn't just that. You know, Reich engineered the greatest comeback in college history. Maryland beating Miami. Yep. And then in this one, and I interviewed him in March when we were at the NFL meetings, and he said that hardly a day goes by that somebody doesn't bring up that game to him. All right, there's the general talking about the Buffalo and Euler playoff misery. All right. Now, I don't want to get too miserable here, but I'll make you happy with a great memory in the fireside chat. And I will also point out some things about the record the Texans have against the Colts all time. There have been some sweet wins, no doubt about it, but not enough of them as they look for one against the Colts in week four. The fireside chat. We started this last week. And we're going to continue. The fireside chat this week centers on the Texans and the Colts. A little bit of the history here as the Texans have not done well. This just in, have not done well against the Colts. You know this already. I'm going to give you the all-time record here. And it's really not enjoyable to report. 25-7 and are the Colts against the Houston Texans. The Texans have only beaten the Colts seven times in the history of of this rivalry, and the first time was back in 2006. That's right. Dom Capers and the Texans never beat the Colts. I mean, there were some bloodbaths in there, some pretty close games at home. You can talk to guys like Seth Payne and Kylie Wong. They played the Colts tough on defense from time to time at home, but on the road it was always, always difficult, especially at that band box known as the RCA Dome back in the day. But let's get to 2006 because it was December 24th. That's right, Christmas Eve at then-called Reliance Stadium, now NRG Stadium, and the Texans were trying to salvage something of their season. They had only four wins at the time going in, and that was a difficult year, Gary Kubiak's first year. Some of the wins, well, there was one at Jacksonville. There was one against Miami that was the first-ever Kubiak win. They also had the horrifying, most painful loss in the history of the franchise, Vince Young, 39-yard touchdown running overtime. They had a blowout at New England. That would happen again later in the franchise's history. But it was Christmas Eve, and the Colts were in with Peyton Manning, and this was a good Colts team coming in, of course, very good always, with Manning at the helm. So the Texans unleashed somebody. Maybe unleashed is too strong a word, but they decided to ride the legs of Ron Dane. 32 carries, 153 yards, and two touchdown runs. Ron Dane was just splendid that afternoon. Andre Johnson, by the way, would be heard from four catches and 48 yards, including a very big one I'll tell you about in just a moment. And Vontae Leach, how about this? Vontae, in the early days as a Texans fullback, was a bit of a receiver from time to time. And he had three catches in the game, including this one for a touchdown. Second and goal at the three. Carr bootlegs, throws to his right. Hits Leach. He's in. Touchdown, Texans. David Carr with the touchdown pass to Vontae Leach. And the Texans are back in front. 
So Leach has that catch for a TD. At the time, it put the Texans up 21-14, to 14, but you knew the Colts would come back. They did. Adam Vinatieri with a 33-yard field goal. He's still playing for this team, by the way. Oh, my goodness. 21-17, to 17, that was in the third quarter. Then in the fourth, Chris Brown, 42-yard field goal. Texans up 7, 24-17. But Peyton Manning, 8-play, 71-yard drive in the fourth quarter. Marvin Harrison, 7-yard TD pass. And the game is tied at 24 with 2.41 left. Could the Texans pull it out? Well, David Carr would find Andre Johnson with a key pass. I mean, they did not throw it much in this game. It was Gary Kubiak playing it close to the vest with the legs of Ron Dane, like we said. Carr was 16 of 23 for only 163 yards. But a nice throw to Andre Johnson for 17 yards, set up the game winner. And it was some holiday magic at the stadium. Oh no, let's go. Let's go crazy, which is what this building's going to do when Chris Brown knocks this field goal through. Hey, I rhymed on Christmas. It'll be from about 48 yards as Chad Stanley will hold. Brian Pittman, the long snapper. The snap is down. Brown's kick on the way. It has the distance. And it's good! Merry Christmas! The Texans beat the Colts for the first time ever. Chris Brown good as time runs out. 27-24. The Texans win. Look, this wasn't a playoff season. This wasn't a winning season. This was the year the Texans beat the Colts for the first time, and it was fabulous because you'd never done it before, and they were so good and such a thorn in the side. And little did we know it would still be a rare thing relatively to get any kind of win over Indianapolis. So it was special at the time, December 24th, 2006, when the Texans got Indy for the first time. Now, I mentioned it. Only seven times have they beaten them. They would not beat them again until the 2010 season. That's right. They went four more years. Opening day, Arian Foster with the big rushing performance. Then opening day the next year. I talked about it last week. Kerry Collins and then Ben Tate running well in that opening day performance. And the next time would be a win over Andrew Luck in 2012 to win the division. And then Bill O'Brien would get it going against the Colts. A three-game winning streak against Indy. And it started with that first-ever win at Indy late in 2015. And then they had to come from behind her on a Sunday night when they beat Andrew Luck. Brock Osweiler with a great throw to C.J. Fedorowicz. Lamar Miller with that dynamite catch and run inside the 10-yard line before that. And Osweiler with a good throw. This was his best game, I thought. Best performance, anyway, when he hit Jalen Strong on the sideline to set up the game-winning field goal against Indy in overtime. But some of the losses along the way, I mean, I mentioned it, not being able to beat them in that four-year stretch between 06 and 2010. You had Rosencopter in there as one of the losses. Another time blowing a 17-point lead at home in 2009. In 2011, Dan Orlovsky up there, second to last week of the season. Last year, two wins by Jacoby Brissett. It's been really painful at times throughout the years, and this is, in my opinion, the biggest nemesis for this franchise, and they got to find a way to get it done this week. That's the Fireside Chat now. Oh, I love the Fireside Chat. We'll continue to do it. I think just about every week we'll do a Fireside Chat. And it won't always be the first time the Texans did this or that. And Sometimes it might not even include the Texans. Like in the offseason, I might go way out there, way out there. But we'll see as we go along here. And let's get into this now because Matt Taylor is the voice of the Colts. I want to catch up with him. First, a reminder that the Texans, of course, and all NFL franchises spend countless hours prepping for game day, and that's why 
The Texans rely on Bose QuietComfort 35 headphones to block out distractions and focus on what matters most, the most powerful noise-canceling technology. It helps you do the same to concentrate on your music, your work, or whatever you're passionate about with QC35 wireless headphones, too. Learn more at Bose.com slash Texans. Bose, the exclusive sound of the Houston Texans. Here's Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts. Matt, I got to imagine a little frustrating to see the team lose at Philadelphia, yet somewhat encouraging to see them play so well. How are you feeling coming off that one? You know, it was a tough loss, Mark, but it was one of those encouraging kind of morale-boosting losses in that, you know, you're going on the road, the defending Super Bowl champs, hostile environment, Philly, one of the better, uh, you know, more difficult places to play. Carson Wentz coming back, MVP candidate last year. You know, he took him down the field in the first half, uh, marched down the field, scored that first touchdown of the game, and you thought, well, this could be a long day if the Colts can't uh, muster anything uh, offensively, if they can't generate some momentum back on their side. But after the first three weeks of the season, you know, you go back to week one where the Colts could have, should have beaten the Bengals. They lost on a late uh, Jack Doyle fumble that was returned for a touchdown that kind of put the nail in the coffin for the Colts because they're driving down the field looking to score and take the lead in the last couple of minutes. Kind of same thing on, on Sunday in Philly. The Colts had a chance to take the lead. They needed a touchdown with under a minute to go. They couldn't punch it in. And going into the season, we didn't really know what this Colts team was going to be about. We didn't know how good they were going to be because Andrew Luck was coming back. We didn't know how effective he was going to be early on. We didn't know what he was going to look like. Plus, they're running a new defense, a 4-3. They got a new offense with Frank Reich. There's so many young players on this team, you know, 11 rookies. There's 22 guys that are making their NFL debuts this season with the Colts. So it was like, we don't know what to predict. We didn't know how good they're going to be. So even though they're one and two on the season, I think optimism is high because they are competing. They have been in every game. And if you take out a couple of scenarios where you're one out of five inside the red zone last week, two out of 12, you could be looking easily at two and one or three and oh. I'm sure you guys are talking about the same thing with with the Texans where, you know, you're 0 and three, but you've lost three games by 15 points to play here and there. You could be right back into the thick of it, and you could be have you could certainly have a much better record than you do right now. And that's life in the NFL, I guess. That's just something that these teams have to deal with. Now, I'll start my line of questioning without mentioning Andrew Luck. Let's go to the defense first, because when people aren't talking about Darius Leonard, they're drooling about Darius Leonard, how well he's playing here and what he's bringing to the table. Tell me about him, not just on the field, but off the field, because you can see the effect he's having on this defense. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, this guy, a a rookie out of South Carolina State, which is an FCS school, his dream was to go to Clemson, uh, but it just didn't work out. He he, he admitted that he had uh, some bad grades in high school, didn't get into Clemson, wasn't really heavily recruited because of the academics, ended up going to South Carolina State and basically broke every record in the book they had. And uh, he, he's shy. He actually, ironically, the game that uh, put him on the radar for the Colts in the draft process was that game against Clemson, South Carolina State, Clemson, uh, on the road for South Carolina State. And in that game, uh, Darius Leonard had 19 tackles, a couple tackles for loss. He was basically all over the field similar to what he's been doing so far in three games in his rookie year. And after that game, Chris Ballard kind of followed him along, uh, followed him throughout the draft process, watched him in the senior bowl, and he continued to flourish, continued to do well. 
uh, so much to the fact that the Colts pulled the trigger on him in the second round. And uh, a lot of people are like, okay, that's a lot of draft capital for a guy that didn't play, you know, major Division One college football. But so far, he's, you know, he's, he's thrown water at all the critics. And this guy has just been everything for the Colts so far. I think he leads the NFL in tackles with 41. He's got three sacks. He's second in the NFL so far in tackles for loss with six. He calls himself the Maniac. That's the self-proclaimed nickname that he's given to himself. And he certainly has been just that on the field so far, a maniac. He's got so much speed. He's playing the little linebacker spot for the Colts on defense, come in right away uh, as the starter. He's got sideline-to-sideline speed, plus he loves contact. He, I think, is a budding superstar and could be a Pro Bowl player for the Colts on defense for a long time to come. How did the light bulb go on for Marcus Hunt? What's the difference here as he's really started to make some plays in year six? Yeah, if you talk to Marcus, I think the biggest thing for him, he says, I'm playing a lot more, right? I'm, I'm out there at the start of the game, and I'm, I'm working through the flow of the game, whereas in the past, he's kind of a, a situational player, a role guy where he's thrown out there, kind of cold coming off the bench, where he's not used to going up against guys. He doesn't know what moves he can he can work on certain uh, guards and tackles. He, he just says by playing more, I, I'm, I'm more effective. And plus he's just been given an opportunity, and he's flourished in that opportunity. You know, he's, he was in a 3-4 last year coming over. Now he's in a 4-3 where I think he's more comfortable. He's just a strong guy. He, he does a great job with leverage. Um, he under, he's, a, he's a smart guy, too, where he knows how he can beat the guy, where he can beat the guy across from him. And, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of people were kind of at the uh, end of the preseason uh, really throwing their arms up in the air at the Colts saying, why are you getting rid of a guy like John Simon? Why did you keep John Simon when he was a little bit miscast in a 4-3, in a you know, transitioning from a 3-4 outside linebacker? Well, Marcus Hunt's made everybody around here forget about John Simon with the way that he's played, leading the NFL right now in tackles for loss. He's got a couple of passes knocked down. There was one play in Philly last week where he literally beat his man on the inside, tipped the ball away from Carson Wentz, then about 10 to 15 yards uh, away from where he tipped the ball. He tracks it down and gets the fumble recovery. Between he and Darius Leonard, uh, those guys are the two biggest surprises on this Colts defense, which as a unit has been surprising because they're a lot further along than we initially thought going into the season. Matt Taylor joining us, Colts broadcaster. Matt, what about Andrew Luck? What are you seeing right now as he heads into game four? Well, it's hard to say because he looked so good in the first game against Cincinnati. He threw for 319 yards, dropped back to pass 53 times, which was a career high. But the last two weeks, it's been a lot of you know shorter passes, quick, hurried throws. And I don't know if that's a byproduct of who they've played, you know, Obviously, Washington's got a good front with uh, Ryan Kerrigan and Preston Smith. You know, Philly's got Fletcher Cox. So I don't know if it was a game plan type of thing where they they just couldn't take their shots down the field at T.Y. Hilton, but it hasn't been there the last two weeks. In fact, the Colts only have five plays this season in the passing game where they've uh, gone over 20 yards on a completion. Um, So they'd like to see that number go up, but they're again coming up on Sunday. You guys know the Texans have a great front. They have great people in the secondary. I'm not sure if the Colts are going to be able to take their shots down the field. So, you know, a lot of people around here are kind of equating that to, well, is Andrew Luck got a, is, is the shoulder still banged up? Is that why he's not taking his shots down the field? Because he doesn't have the arm strength. I, I don't think those two things correlate. In fact, today, yesterday, Frank Reich and Andrew Luck kind of debunked that theory 
Uh, it just hasn't been there, I don't think, so far for the Colts through three weeks. But they'd like to see that uh, improve, take their shots down the field, obviously get T.Y. Hilton going. But in the meantime, you still have uh, you have Eric Ebron and Chester Rogers and Ryan Grant over the middle kind of dinking and dunking their way down the field. And that's what the Colts did not do in Philly. They didn't sustain drives. and They didn't capitalize inside the red zone. They're going to have to do that on Sunday to beat the Texans. All right, Frank Reich is one of the great one-hit wonder villains in Houston sports history, and now he's coaching the Colts. What's it like to be around Frank Reich? You know, Frank is such a methodical, down-to-business type of person, but he also has a a lighter side, too. And I get to talk to him. I get to interview him uh, a couple of times every week. And, you know, when when it's time to do the interview, uh, he's, he's all business, all talk. But there's also times where he kind of lets his hair down a little bit, so to speak, and uh, enjoys some some lighthearted moments. Uh, but the guys love playing for him. I mean, he is uh, his his mantra is obsession to finish, and we have to hustle. We have to lead the league in passion. We have to lead the league in hustle and energy. And I think that's what you're you're seeing so far through three weeks. The Colts they may not have the most talent in the NFL. They may not have the best players, but they're they are. They, they give it everything they have, every single play, especially on defense with Matt Eberflus. His hallmarks are kind of the same thing going along with Frank Reich. So it, it has been fun to see this team grow in a short amount of time uh, because, like I said, going into the season, we had no idea how good the Colts were going to be. And through three weeks, it looks like they're going to be competitive basically the entire season, it would appear. Matt Taylor with us, Colts broadcaster. Okay, Matt, you take over play-by-play in the preseason – what was it like for you when you were put into action that way? And I know you manage the radio broadcast world, but now you're in the booth calling the games, which you have done from time to time when Bob Lamey was ill or whatever, but now you're the guy. So what was that like taking over that spot? You know, it was it was obviously for me a huge opportunity um, and something that I'm having a great deal of fun with. Um, but, you know, with my relationship with Bob, it was bittersweet because I knew how much Bob meant to me. Uh, I know how much I've learned from him. So to see him retire, it was kind of bittersweet. But um, taking the next step forward, you know, it was kind of, uh, okay, here we go. We really didn't have a lot of time to to think or reminisce or reflect. We just had to go. I mean, we had, uh, I think that uh, third preseason game was two days after the retirement. So it was kind of a crash course thing. As you know, you know, Mark, you got to get ready to go. So it's it's been a great deal of fun it's an opportunity that i'm uh so appreciative of and uh yeah like you said my my fingerprints are kind of all over colts radio to begin with doing uh the manager of radio production role and everything that goes with that uh now i'm doing the play-by-play so it's fun to have basically all input on colts radio and execute it the way you want it to be executed uh so it's a lot of fun to know that um on game day, what people are hearing and how they're hearing it and in the order of things is, is basically all you. So that that's a great deal of pride for me, and uh, I know that you can understand that, you can appreciate that, and uh, I, I just hope – and I think Colts fans are, are having fun listening to our product that we're putting out this year. We're having a lot of fun. Obviously, we would like to see more wins, but um, I think those are going to come eventually down the road for this team. Always want to see more wins. One more for you. How's the fan base doing in Indianapolis? Because I know you transformed that city really into a football city with all the success in the last decade and a half. But I know you take a little dip, and it's tough. But what do you think right now as far as the relationship between the fans and the club? 
you know, that's always it's always kind of hard to put your thumb on the pulse of the fan base. Um, like you said, from 2009 to 2014, uh, the Colts won five AFC style titles, and they haven't won one since, nor have they been to the playoffs uh, since. So, anytime you have that much success, you know, with Peyton Manning and Edgerin James and Marvin Harrison and you know, uh, Robert Mathis and Dwight Freeney. I mean, those guys are all ring of honor guys in the past 10 to 15 years. And so when you set the bar that high, you know, you're, you, you kind of set yourself up for some, some grumpy fans. If you're not getting 12 wins every year and going to the playoffs and making Super Bowl runs. So I think the last couple of years, it's been a dose of reality here in Indianapolis, as far as you know, this is kind of like what it's like in every other NFL city on, on the norm. And so I think people have, have had a hard time adjusting to that. But I think things are kind of back on the upswing with the healthy Andrew Luck, a new head coach in Frank Reich, uh, a GM like Chris Ballard that has a clear vision. But that said, you know, it's 2018 and it's a win now society. Everybody wants to Nobody wants to live through a rebuild. Nobody has the patience for a three-year plan, so to speak. So I think that's what the Colts are hoping for this season is to be better record-wise than a lot of people thought, continue that momentum next offseason in the draft, continue to draft well, um, maybe have some pieces that you bring in in free agency because the Colts have over $70 million in cap space. Uh, Just continue to do what you're doing, but they're never going to sacrifice uh, the the wins that you can get now versus the plan that you have in place for years down the road. And I think most fans understand that. They are okay with that. But there's still a section of every fan base that is just so tunnel-visioned on the here and the now. And if they're not winning every single week, they're certainly going to be upset. So the Colts are trying to balance that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you – the easiest way to make the playoffs is to win your division games, and a huge game's coming up on Sunday against Houston. All right, that's going to do it. That's Matt Taylor, the voice of the Colts, and he replaced Bob Lamey, who was a legend, no doubt, but said something horrible during a Indy 500 broadcast, during the prep of it, really. It wasn't on the air, and it ended up costing him his job, and it's really too bad for everybody. What can I say? Matt Taylor takes over. And he's going to do a great job. Good guy, and let's hope for the best for him. But when I say the best, like that he does a good job reporting on the games, not that the games go successfully for the Colts because I mean, they're in the division, right? Let's just be honest here. All right, that's going to do it for Vanderbeer's View this week. And we look forward again to catching up next week with I don't know what yet. The Texans are going to play the Cowboys. You think the Fireside Chat could feature something that happened in 2002? I think there's a good chance that that does occur. Have a great day, everyone, and go Texans.